Today we begin our summer series in the Psalms. Thank you. Dr. David, I've been practicing saying that. Summer series in the Psalms. It's a tongue twister. Uh, Today we begin this, uh, and we begin looking at Psalm 3. Uh, we, last year when we walked through so, uh, Psalms in the summer, we walked, we began with Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, but this week we will begin with, uh, with Psalm 3. Uh, but before we begin, I, I want to ask you a question. What, what are the Psalms? Have you, uh, have you spent much time reading through the Psalms, and what are the Psalms? Why are the Psalms beneficial for the church? Psalm, the Psalms is a collection of prayers and praise pinned to music. They're poems that give us a cross-section of God's revelation to Israel and Israel's personal and corporate response to faith in the Lord. They give us a window to kind of peer back through the ages and experience how God's people in the past have related to Him. And in Psalms, we see the very practical side of human emotion. We see expressions of praise and faith and sorrow and frustration And in them, we see a reverence for God, and at the same time, this very real struggle for faith in the midst of life's trials. So when we approach God's Word, I think oftentimes we assume, and we're right to assume, we know that we're reading God's Word to us. But when we come to Psalms, in the Psalms, we're actually reading God's Word through His people spoken back to him. So Psalm 3, I think this morning, is a fitting opening for our Psalms for the Summer series. Having just ended our study of Ephesians, we ended on the high note of standing firm in battle against Satan, our enemy. And so we're well aware of the enemy and his tactics. We also know that God has graciously, because of our Ephesians 6 study, that God has graciously equipped us with his armor for battle through the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so in Psalm 3, David laments over his situation. And through prayer, David expresses this great confidence and trust in the Lord that God will, in fact, deliver him from his enemies. The Christian life is a spiritual battle. And we're engaged. We're engaged daily in this spiritual warfare. And so we, too, are called to have confidence and trust in God as we struggle through adversity in this life. And so as we look at Psalm 3, we see David fighting adversity with faith. And this morning, what I want us to see in the text is that we should respond to adversity in life with confident prayer, knowing that nothing can thwart God's plan. We should respond to adversity in life with confident prayer, knowing that nothing can thwart God's plan. Before we read the text, let me pray. Father, as we approach your word this morning, we ask that you would be exalted during this time. For Lord, as your people, we want nothing more than to be strengthened and encouraged through your word. And so, Lord... We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would direct our hearts and minds. We pray that you would block out any and all distractions so that we might focus upon you and upon your word. And we ask, God, that you would give us insight. And so, Lord, as we bring 
our lives before you and evaluate them through your word, we pray that you would fill us and fuel us to live for you and for your glory. And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Follow along as I begin reading in, in, in Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. The first point I I want us to see this morning is that adversity presses the believer into deeper trust in God. Adversity presses the believer into deeper trust in God. We see this in verses 1 and 2. And we know this really from experience in our life. If we've walked with the Lord for any time as a believer, we know that when difficult times come, those times of adversity and trial, they really press us in to dependence and trust in God. And this is exactly what we see happening for King David. Adversity is hard. And when we encounter adversity in life, it drains it has this draining effect on us, doesn't it? It drains us emotionally, it drains us physically, and it drains us spiritually. And so David says, my enemies have surrounded me. In fact, he goes on to say, many are my foes. Many, right? You get the, the key word here, many, many, many. One translation reads, 10,000. But many, many are rising against me. Many are saying, of my soul. They're saying, there's no salvation for him and God. I want you to think about how hard this must have been for King David. His situation was heartbreaking. In fact, the title of the psalm kind of helps put this psalm in perspective. If you read the psalm, it says, or you read the title there, Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. His situation is heartbreaking because the title places David as the fugitive father. His misery and his troubles are overwhelming. His son Absalom is leading a revolt against him. In fact, 2 Samuel chapter 15 through chapter 17 2 Samuel chapter 15 through chapter 17, it gives us the background on this story, on this narrative of what's happening for David and for his son. 
in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 15, it says that Absalom had stolen the hearts of the men of Israel over a four-year period. He would position himself out by the gate, and as men would come, or as people of the city, or people of the surrounding area, would come to receive judgment from the king or to present their case before the king at the gate, he would wait there, and he would... He would smooth talk them and, and steal their heart. If, if I were king, I would render favorable judgments in your, uh, in your case. And so he would steal the hearts of the men. And over four years, this happened. And it wasn't enough that Absalom had revolted against his father, but Ahithophel, David's counselor, had joined Absalom's ranks. And he turned against David as well. In fact, many other men of the nation of Israel joined Absalom in his revolt. 2 Samuel 15, 12 says, The conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. So David and all his servants had to flee the city of Jerusalem. They had to flee for their lives. In chapter 15, verse 30 of 2 Samuel, it records David's countenance. It says, David went, David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. This was a difficult time of adversity in David's life. David was really struggling to... Um, to process all that was going on as he's fleeing and his son has revolted against him. Many people have revolted against him and and he is fleeing as the king, leaving the city. But I want us to see David's response to adversity. It's instructive for us. And the question I would ask us to consider is where do we turn when we encounter times of great adversity? Do we turn from God or do we turn to God? Is there something else that we turn to in the midst of adversity? Do we turn to alcohol? Do we turn to addictions for escape? Do we turn to other people? Do we return to sinful patterns? Or do we turn to God? David immediately cries out to God. Oh, Lord, right? Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? You know, adversity doesn't just come through outward attacks, though. Maybe you can identify with David. Not that your children have led an all-out rebellion and pursued your life. Perhaps maybe your children have denounced the faith. Or maybe you've even been ostracized from their lives. Maybe you've been passed over for a promotion or excluded from a group because of your faith. Maybe you've been stabbed in the back by those whom you trusted Adversity certainly comes in the form of persecution and and certainly in the form of disloyalty from those closest to us. But it can also come in the form of sickness, cancer, depression, temptation, sin. I think the New Testament teaches that any adversity the believer faces is much greater than the people or the situations that might come against us. In fact, Paul identifies it as spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that we have just finished studying. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Or in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, where Paul says, For we walk in the flesh... 
For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, right? Listen, for our weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You see, for the believer, for King David, when adversity comes in life, the answer is we must turn to God in prayer. We bring our burdens to the Lord and we pray for God's strength and we pray for God's wisdom. And so here we see David crying out to the Lord. This is the same thing that James calls us to in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. Right? When, when he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith develops endurance. Let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And then the answer to that is in verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, in other words, if any of you lacks the wisdom to know how to walk through this trial, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. And then listen, and it will be given to him. It's the promise of God's word. David says that many have risen against me. And those who have risen against him in verse 2, they say there's no salvation for him in God. This is the equivalent of God can't help him. God won't help him. God has forsaken him. Where is his God? He's not here. You see, the lies of his adversaries were meant as fiery arrows to his soul. These are the exact things that we hear today from the agnostic and the atheist who denounce that God is interested in our lives. Or men or women who have rejected God for their own way, claiming that we're on our own. This is the lie that Satan, our enemy, wants us to believe in the midst of adversity. That God doesn't care about your problem. That God doesn't care about the struggle you're walking through. That you're on your own. That God will not come and help you. And David says, I won't hear it. He turns to the Lord in prayer, David wouldn't listen, and neither should we, church. When adversity pressed in on David, it pressed him deeper into a trust in God. And the same should be the case in the life of the believer. When adversity presses in on our lives, it should press us further in to God, into trusting God. But secondly, this morning, I want us to see that answered prayer strengthens the believer with greater confidence in God. Answered prayer strengthens a believer with greater confidence in God. So when adversity comes and we're praying to God, guess what's going to happen? We're going to see and hear God. We're going to, we're going to see God answering our prayers. We're going to know that God is faithful in the midst of answering prayer. And when prayer is answered, our, strength, our, our, our faith is strengthened and our confidence in God is strengthened. And so David turns from the lie to the living God. And as we fix our eyes on God and his greatness, our faith will be increased and our fears will diminish. Look at what he says in verse 6. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. And so he says, I'm not going to fear. I'm going to trust in God. And first we see in verse 3 that God is our protector. That's what he says there in verse 3. He is my shield, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. He remembered and he focused on God's good character and God's care for him. 
Listen, God is our only defense against the enemy, against the adversary. The parallel here between this psalm and, 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 and Ephesians six thirteen through 17 is important to note. If you recall, if you've heard the last couple of sermons, or if not, go back and read, but Ephesians chapter 6 is the armor of God. And he says that God has equipped us, he's given us this belt of truth and this breastplate of righteousness, right? And this shield of faith by which we extinguish the flaming darts or the fiery darts of the enemy. He's given us the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And he shod our feet with the hope of the gospel of peace. God has equipped the believer with battle armor that's necessary to stand against the enemy in times of adversity. And our strength to stand against the enemy comes through prayer. And the reality is, for the believer, we are weak when we don't pray. And because we are weak, we should pray. Not only does David say that he's my shield, he says he's my glory. (laughs) He's the lifter of my head. In other words, God's calling has not been revoked in David's life. He recalls God has has called me and installed me as a king. He's lifted my head from sorrow. I'm not sure if he's talking about what God has already done or what he knows that God is going to do. If we look at this text from 2 Samuel, we see the, the weeping and the head down and head covered as he's leaving the city. But he's got this great confidence and trust in God that God's plans will not and cannot be thwarted. He knew and had confidence that God's plan was going to move forward and to be good for him. As he reflected on his relationship with God, he became confident that God would restore him. So believers in Christ, we have the same confidence. We know the truth of Romans 8.31, which says that if, if God is for us, what? Who can be against us? We take confidence in, in God's calling in our lives as well. We're ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We pray for boldness that we might proclaim and live the gospel as we ought to speak it and as we ought to live it. 1 Peter 2.9 says we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So David stakes it down here and says, he is my shield. He is my protector. But we also see that God answers prayer. Because in verse 4, he says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. You see, the strength of the believer in battle is dependent on prayer. God hears our prayer, and he acts for our good and for his glory. And as we turn to God in prayer, remembering his character and crying out to him in the midst of adversity, we're strengthened because God hears us and God answers us. You notice what he says there in verse verse 4. And he answered me from his holy hill. The answer comes from God's dwelling place. The city of Jerusalem. The temple. Where God's presence dwelt among his people. David said, God answered me from the place of his presence. 
Believer, hear the promise of Christ in John 14, 23, where Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You see, God's dwelling place is no longer in the temple, right? But among his people, by his Holy Spirit. And since God the Father and God the Son indwell the believer through God the Holy Spirit, we can take confidence knowing that in the midst of our trials and in the midst of adversity, when we call upon God in prayer, that he hears us and that he answers us. It's because of this that we can take great comfort in knowing That God does not abandon his children. In fact, in verse 5, it says just the opposite. That God actually sustains his children. Look at what he says. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. Through prayer, we experience and know God's faithfulness. Through prayer, our strength and confidence in the Lord is renewed. And our fears in the face of adversity diminish because we gain assurance that God is with us and that our faith increases by seeing God's hand at work even in the midst of trials and suffering and persecution and adversity. And so when God's people pray, He hears and He answers. He's our shield, He's our protector. He's our sustainer. We also thirdly see this morning that salvation comes through God alone. And we see this in verses 7 and 8. As his enemies have risen against him, right? Verse 1, many are rising against me. He calls out to God here in verse 7. He says, arise, O Lord. Arise with swift intervention. And come and work, come and protect, come and deliver. So confidently, David expresses what he knows that God will do. Save me, O my God. In the midst of a terrible ordeal, in the midst of heartbreaking circumstances, in the midst of his life being on the brink, He is crying out to God. And then he says, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. This is battle imagery of defeating the enemy. I mean, that's pretty graphic illustration, isn't it? You break the teeth of the enemy. When you hit them on the jaw, their teeth break and shatter. The jaw shatters. The graphic metaphor points us to see that God According to David, God is the only one who can deliver David from his adversaries, as many have surrounded him. And the reason is because salvation belongs to the Lord. In verse 8, that's exactly what he says. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Here, David confesses this truth about God. And he prays, asking God for blessing on his people and asking God for his salvation. Scripture tells us Jesus Christ is God's provision for salvation. 
Scripture tells us that God has swiftly intervened in human history through Christ's becoming man. And Scripture is clear that God is just and that He will vindicate His righteous ones, that He comes to the aid of those who are His. And Scripture is also clear that apart from Jesus Christ, no one is righteous. And this is why Jesus became man. Genesis 3 tells us that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and brought reproach upon humanity and creation. Their sin corrupted humanity and the sin nature that they had became ingrained in our DNA. And because of this, in Genesis 3.15, the Lord says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and between her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The prophetic word from Genesis was fulfilled when Jesus went to the cross. For in the cross, Jesus crushed Satan, the serpent's head, and he rose victorious over the grave. And because of Christ's victory, all who are in Christ have this confidence that salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes through Christ, and because of this, we have confidence in the midst of adversity. And this is why Isaiah, the prophet, prophesied, saying in Isaiah 54, 17, that no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servant of the Lord, and their vindication from me declares the Lord. And so I want to be clear this morning that while God allows us to walk through adversity in this life, it's not so that we might experience despair or hopelessness or defeat. Instead, it's so that we might look to Him and know His salvation. The hope for the believer in the midst of adversity is found in Jesus Christ. The greatest adversary we face isn't tormentors from without. It's Satan, who Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and Ephesians 2, 2, that he's the God of this world. And what we need to know from Scripture and about God's provision and salvation is that Jesus defeated our mortal enemy, our mortal adversary, Satan, with a swift blow through his death and through his resurrection. And Jesus absorbed the death sting of sin and of our enemy, and he rose triumphantly over sin and death. And so all who are in Jesus Christ can have this confidence that we can run to Christ, setting our eyes on him as the author and perfecter of our faith, knowing that God's plan in and through our lives cannot be thwarted by the adversary. And so when our adversaries surround us like they do for David, we, like David, must turn to God and we must be reminded of who we are in Christ and what Christ has accomplished for our good and for his glory. And because Christ is victorious over the enemy, we can be be and we can live victorious lives in battle against our adversary. Whatever adversity we experience in life, we know that Christ will strengthen us to overcome and to walk through because the victory belongs to Christ. So this morning, I want to ask you, do you know Jesus alone 
who can save? Do you know this Jesus Christ who has defeated our mortal enemy, our adversary, Satan? If not, you must repent of your sin and believe in Christ. Are you experiencing adversity in life? Then you must cry out to God. Remember that which is the good character of God, that he is the shield about us, that he is our glory, that he he lifts up our head. Are you calling out to God in prayer? Remembering his character and his goodness. When adversity comes in life, we, the believers, can respond with confident prayer, knowing that nothing can thwart God's plan against his children. Pray with me as we live out this truth. Father, we ask for your strength. We ask, Father, for your wisdom as we seek to live out the truth of your word in the midst of trial, suffering, adversity that comes. God, we ask that you would help us and strengthen us to focus upon you and upon your good character. Lord, to know the promise of your word and to live out the promise of your word very practically in our everyday lives. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us in the midst of adversity to turn to you, to cast our cares upon you, to run to you, to set our eyes upon Christ, to set our minds upon the things above And we pray, Father, that you would strengthen us as your people to faithfully follow you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning?